everybody. Welcome into another edition of Head Coach U. I am Brian Fisher, joined as always by former BYU and Virginia head coach Bronco Mendenhall. And another special episode here this week. We got one of the five active FBS head coaches with the national title, Mac Brown of the North Carolina Tar Heels. Mac, thank you so much for jumping on with us. Thank you, Brian. Anytime Bronco asks me to do something, I'm going to do it. So that, that's 100%. And, and it's because I, I love him, number one, but also have great respect for who he is, what he does. He, he won a lot of football games, uh, a lot against me. Uh, and he also did it right. He, he never broke rules. He took care of the kids. He always did and said the right things. And had integrity while he was doing it. And he and I were on the AFCA board together. We, 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 and, and a lot of different meetings with ACC head coaches meetings, we were trying to collaborate to figure out what's best for these young people and best for our, our wonderful sport going forward. Uh, so I'm, I'm all in on Bronco and his family. Great, great to hear that. Great to hear that. And I mean, you guys, you guys met six times. I, I know there, there were some pretty tough battles between the two of you. You, you, got, you got the last win, so I, so I will say uh, thank you for, for, for coming on and coming off the, that, that win. But what, what was the biggest challenge when you were preparing for, for one of Broncos teams? Well, number one, if we hadn't won the last one, I wouldn't have come on. <laughs> so I didn't like him near as much after he beat us as, he, as, as we did. The other way, uh, his teams were always so well coached. They played great defense. Uh, they were going to run the ball, had great play action out of it, but they, they were really good on special teams. And uh, he faked two kicks against us that, that were huge plays. And, and uh, it, it takes a, a well-coached team in special teams to do that, and it takes a coach with confidence in his team to, to go ahead and make those plays. And that's why I always admired him so much. I knew when we played his teams at both Brigham Young and Virginia – they were going to be well prepared, but they were going to play hard because he's tough. They're tough, uh, and they they fought till the end like he does. Well, now that it's, I felt like I've, I was at my funeral right there, listening to all those things. <laughs> I mean, so I appreciate that. But now, now for the truth of it, um, man, when when I consider like who I want to talk to on our podcast, um, and then who I get to talk to. That that list is pretty short, um, and in the world of no, in the world of college football, if you consider all the things Mac just said about someone that works really hard to do it um, with integrity, someone that really works hard, um, I think to to look after the game itself, um, and that that's the impact that Mac has had on me. And we were in the AFCA board for, and this is even before we had our first game, uh, BYU in Texas. And Mac was in the board. You kind of rotate through to be the the chair, I guess, is what it was was that position. And Mac was the the chair. And then we were navigating some pretty tough issues, not as tough as they are now, but it was kind of this this wave before this wave. And Mac was in that seat. And I think we got more done in his tenure of actually things that would be reasonable, effective, but also the way uh, he went about it. There was a consensus built that just ended up being commonsensical by the time we reached our solutions. And man, it's hard to figure out now where where the influences for good really will come from. And I know there's plenty trying, and I'm glad Mac is is doing that as well. But anyway, besides the the football component, there was a leadership component that to me made real sense to have Mac on today just to talk about the game. And so, Mac, I would love to hear just Man, as as this past year went, um, and now that you're seeing 
Um, the, the hottest topics, right? As you're dealing with the portal, as you're dealing with NIL, um, what what effect is that having? What do you see? And on a day-to-day basis, just what what's it like uh, over this past season or what do you see coming? Bronco, the uh, uh, more changes in my last two years than my other 33, Wow, number one. And, and I was crushed when we lost what you and I knew as amateurism. Yeah. Because we are now paying players and that's through collectives, but it's, it's still being paid and, and that's professionalism. So, so it, number one, we're, we're different than we've ever been before. Um, uh, NIL, um, I think it's good. Sally, my wife said, uh, Students get paid for their artwork. Students can get paid for music. So athletes should be able to get paid for their work. I got it. That, that makes sense to me. But we threw it out there with no guidelines. Mm-hmm. And, and we have fewer guidelines now than the NFL. Mm-hmm. Tom Brady can make $150,000 for an appearance. Uh, our quarterback could go to Charlotte and sign autographs at a, uh, a, one of the local car dealerships. He could get a car and a million dollars. I mean, it's just there's there's nothing that that says there is a cap on what guys can get, uh, and then that uh, naturally affects your locker room. It, it affects recruiting. It, it changes everything. Um, are the kids different? No, kids are kids. They want to compete. They want to play. Is the game any different? No. And and a lot of the old heads that Bronco and I have told for years don't pay kids. And now we're saying, you know, you can pay these kids. They're saying, wait a minute now, coach. We, we don't know that this is the right thing to do or not. Um, so it's, it's difficult. It's a difficult message. And, and then for these top boosters, we're saying buy season tickets, pay coaches salaries, pay for facilities. Uh, oh, yeah, now we need your money for um, NIL, too, on top of it. So we're bleeding our top alums, and, and there's conflicts then between your fundraising group and your collective because they're, they're all trying to get money from the same people, and that makes it difficult. Uh, is it, are there good things about NIL, in my opinion? Absolutely. The, the, we're trying to, to make the collective understand if an out-of-state kid can't get his parents to a game and, and he's played well enough that they can help the parents get there or Maybe he gets a two-bedroom apartment instead of a one so they can stay if they can't afford to stay and watch him play. Some guys, as Bronco knows Brian, don't have insurance, and they can't afford the university insurance as, as limited as it is. So maybe they can buy some insurance. They, they learn about charities and giving back. They, they learn how to pay taxes at a very early age. Uh, we, we fought uh, paying kids and agents forever. Now we got agents and we're paying kids. So it, it's all crazy and, and different. So, but they learn how to use an agent and, and marketing. They learn you have to pay the guy and, and he better be good for you because if you're going to pay him and you better understand that uh, if the university helps you with something or the collective helps you and your agent doesn't, why pay him? He didn't get it. So he should only get paid for what he brings in. So so there's a lot of good lessons that are being learned. And at the same time, I feel like with the, the ability to get mad and transfer on, on a whelm because some coach yelled at you at practice uh, and all the NIL in the locker room that's confusing because why aren't they paying me and you can't get paid for play, but you are, and you can't pay them to get them to come, but we are. 
across college football. Uh, I, I think it's really, really more difficult on mental health than ever before. We're seeing more alcohol use. We're seeing more drug use. We're seeing more um, suicides. And, and I'm really worried that we're putting so much pressure on these young people that they didn't have before that it makes it very, very difficult. We did have the head of enforcement come in from the NCAA about a month ago, Bronco, and sit down with their mm -hmm. staff. And I said, what are the rules? Tell, tell me what the rules are. So I, I, I think I know, but I'm not sure. And he made a great point. He said that uh, these schools that are offering money to kids before they sign are no different than the schools that used to offer money cash. So if somebody offered you $200,000 four years ago, and now they're saying you're going to get 200000 if you sign with us. That's an inducement. And the kid's going to become ineligible. And the university is going to have to prove that they didn't do that. So that's that's going to be huge. I said, when does that start happening? I'm, I'm getting older, man. I'd like to see somebody <laughs> at least put some rules out there to, to make it different. So I think that's going to help some. They're also saying now if you transfer twice, as an undergraduate, you're going to have to go back and have a waiver. So maybe it'll slow down some of the, the transfer process. So um, is the transfer portal good, in my opinion? Uh, you know, um, you, you start looking at uh, uh, Joe Burrow was a third-team quarterback at Ohio State, and he wins the Heisman. Work for him. We've got some kids on this team that are not playing a lot. Uh, even second teamers that are working really hard. And I've told every one of them, if you're not happy, uh, you need to be happy. Life's too short. Let's get you somewhere else. Don't don't sit around here and gripe about my coach and not play him and it's being unfair. Let's go somewhere else and, and we'll place you and we'll help you. Uh, but let's, let's just don't stay mad. Uh, so there's some really good things with the transfer portal and NIL. I think, Bronco, my concern is we didn't have guidelines with either one. Therefore, there's been consequences that if we had thought this through, we would have slowed it down before. We, we, have our sprint, we had our spring game last Saturday. That was the day that the transfer portal opened back up. I couldn't sleep Friday night because I could see 10 guys walking up before the game and saying, listen, I'm, I've decided to get in the portal uh, before the game. Uh, and then afterwards, you're, you're looking at kids, and if he's not looking you in the eye, you're thinking he's out of here and he's out of here. So – we're, we're having exit meetings with all the guys this week and, and just telling them the truth and, and saying, if you want to get in the portal, let's, let's work it out. Yeah. Appreciate, I appreciate the narrative and the comprehensive nature. There's, it's just so well said. And I think for our listeners, you can see the magnitude of understanding and then possible application. And so I, I'd like just to, to follow up on a couple of things that, that you hit on. One of the things that I see is a real positive that you mentioned about um, NIL I think sometimes college athletics, if not under the right leadership and not under the right intent, just prolongs adolescence. There isn't growth and development intentionally to do anything else other than play ball. And the kids love to do that, but there are other things that can help them. And I, I felt the responsibility, and I know you do as well, to, to facilitate. So I love the idea that, yeah, taxes and paying agents and marketing and adding one extra thing in your life besides your spouse and your job, there's, there's finance, you're managing other things. These kids now are learning to manage other things, which is part of adulthood. So I, I see a development model there. If, if uh, leveraged can benefit. Um, the other part, 
I think that that you mentioned, I'd love to hear your perspective um, regarding the collectives uh, as well. Um, and, and maybe even the NIL is to ensure that what they're being paid, their services, they're actually rendering, right? So they're worthy of their hire, right? So because at least in the world that, that we live in, right, um, pay is expected for work done. That's in addition to just playing the game, right? So if there's an NIL or if there's something else, uh, to me, it seems like there ought to be something else they're doing for that money. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts just on that and how you're navigating that and where the collective fits into all that, or even if it does. Yeah, uh, Bronco, we're really lucky here that the collective is four of my really good friends. So I trust them and, and I know they're doing it right. And I know they're going by the rules. And, and then they hired a 10-year basketball agent who was a Moorhead scholar at the University of North Carolina. It's in his mid-30s. And he is wonderful. Great. So I don't know how many players on our team are getting money, and I'm not yeah. supposed to. Yeah. I don't know how much any of them are getting. Uh, I laughed with the team yesterday, and I said, your quarterback's going to get money because uh, <laughs> I know that. Uh, but the rest of them, you, you don't know for sure. And um, I also said that <clears throat> that's what the collective is about. I said, we, we had five guys last year in our recruiting class that I think we would have gotten two years ago, but they asked for money. And we told them that you that's not the way this thing works. You come, you earn it, and then you, you get money through the collective because boosters want to give you that money and help you. And we lost all five, so I'm going to track those five and see how they do yeah. and, and see if, they, uh, if they're satisfied and they've got the money and they're not going to play good because they don't have to. They're already ahead of where they thought they'd be as a freshman. Um, and, and we've tried to tell these kids uh, only 10% of the NFL players do not have to get a job when they get through. Mm-hmm. So everybody says, I'm going to the NFL, man. I got it made. No, you're going to have to work when you get through, except for those 10. And most of those are quarterbacks. Yep. And, and then we've told our guys, so whatever what money you're going to get, from a collective, if it's illegal and it's before you get here, it's going to be gone. It's not going to help you the rest of your life. So your NIL deal should be your degree from a university of North Carolina, a university of Virginia. When you get through, that's where you're going to make your money. Now you may get a little spending money or to help mom and dad come to those games or something, help some insurance while you're there. A collective money is not going to get you where you want to go for the rest of your life. And nothing's free. And if this collective gives you free money and you aren't responsible for taking care of it, then they're cheating you because that's not real life. Mm -hmm. So we've had to change the direction, Bronco, of our recruiting, making sure that we get the family that cares more about a North Carolina degree than they do $100,000 up front. Mm -hmm. And and making sure that they want to be here and they don't want to transfer. The first time somebody gets mad, I actually had a coach the other day. He was a new coach on our staff, and he said, Coach, this guy's not playing very well, but I'm afraid to tell him that. I'm afraid to move him down. He's going to leave. I said, I don't care. Yeah. If, he, if he's not playing well, let him leave anyway. But if he can handle you trying to help him play better, we don't want him here. Yeah. And, and that's so, so we're, we're trying to do it right with NIL. It's harder. We're trying to do it right with Transfer Portal have to be more transparent with them. Um, And that's difficult for roster management. If we lose 10 this week, where do you go get 10 more right quick? I mean, you can't. So it's just different than it's ever been. 
but I don't think it's bad. Yeah. I, I think it started so bad that the NCAA is aware. The publicity out there is such that everybody's aware it's crazy and it's not as healthy as it was at one point for these kids. And I think that's going to, to make it uh, change a lot quicker than if, if it was all going pretty well. It's a fascinating perspective. And I think it's an accurate perspective that you're, you're rendering. And one of the things that uh, just it struck me, and, and I was on the board when, when we saw the, uh, the NIL coming. And so I'm so glad going back to um, your, your comment about having the NCA head of enforcement coming because we knew as coaches, right, the argument was, um, much like Sally said, that the normal student can benefit from and I'm for that. And, and just like you said, I don't think any of this is all bad if right governed and structured in a way um, where where those that don't play by the rules um, can be uh, um, held accountable. And so when I when I listened to you just a second ago talk about the head of enforcement, we knew sitting in the board meeting and when Alston and when when the things happened that this money wasn't immediately going to be used for the existing student athletes. We knew sitting in that boardroom, that this was going to be enticements for players to come because that was already in, in the board meetings we sat in. I would say, I don't know what percentage of comments were made in those board meetings about recruiting or people not doing it fair or effective, <laughs> but that was in place even before this. And so we all knew that it, um, this was going to move to the area least regulated um, and least enforced just by scope and scale. And so now we've added more incentive that way. And so, man, if, if it's possible, and I'm going to say if right now, because I'm not sure it is with the NCAA, but if it's possible where, where there was tampering or cheating, right. And there's ineligibility because of that. Um, the, the accountability component will really help, uh, I think, make all this workable. And so um, I'm fascinated to hear more. Uh, so the things you mentioned were, uh, the, I, I understood the transfer two times and I understood the inducement part. And if that could be proven ineligibility, I'm wondering what you think. And I'm just going to ask you kind of a blunt question. If we are kind of moving toward the professional model, which I think we agree on that that's happening in addition to getting an amazing degree, right? And schools like UNC and Virginia and BYU, I don't know what league they're going to play in. Um, but it seems like the ones that really value a degree in addition to the rest there's an additional component and workload that you're you're doing because it's harder, right? It's better, but it's harder. And so harder. I'm wondering, you know, where how you make sense of that. Um, so going back to just how you see the enforcement being pulled off, do you think that can happen? And and for for places like UNC and others that want the value of a degree, do you think that there might be an eventual split from those that really don't value the degree? And I don't know. I'm anxious to hear your thoughts that way. Uh, all great points, uh, Bronco. Uh, number one, I really trust Chris Howard. Yeah. He's a war veteran that, that uh, in Special Forces that's a, um, a unique man that has fought for our country for years, and he's passionate about getting this fixed. Mm. So I'm, I'm, I'm a believer. Uh, he's after it. And, and now they've changed the rule where we have to prove we're innocent. They do not have to prove we're guilty. I'm not sure I agree with that. I'm not sure that's American, but it's going to wake some people up. So they said, if a young man, if they've been told a young man took money, they come to him, they're going to say, you're ineligible until you can prove to us you didn't take it. And then you, if you will tell us the four schools that offered you money, 
then they're going to go on probation and, and we'll let you play. So I think that's that's got a chance. Uh, and it's not a very popular thing when I say it, but you will appreciate it. Cheaters cheat. Yep. And there were some that had NIL programs long before NIL. <laughs> and they're, they're more organized and they moved a little bit quicker with NIL and they're still throwing cash out there. Um, but, but we can't worry about them. Coach Paterno told me one time, he said, uh, hey, maybe they have to cheat to win. Don't worry about them. Don't worry about cheaters. You worry about yourself and you do what you need to do. I do think all of these things have made it more difficult for academic schools. Yes. The transfer portal is harder to get in the, the schools yes. we're talking about than it is some others. Um, it's hard to get in graduate school. It's hard for your fifth year guys to get in your graduate school. Yes. So all of those things are tougher than they were before transfers were, were so prevalent. Uh, the other thing is that, like I said, at, at your schools, my schools, we've been telling people for years, don't use agents. Keep them away. Now they're here. We've been telling them, do not pay kids ever. And now I'm on Zooms. And I'm going to a meeting tonight. Hey, we need some money for the collection because they're going to pay these kids. And they're saying, you, you told us not to pay kids, coach, for 100 years. I said, you're right, without question. Um, so we're it's, it's all different. And I think until we can let people understand exactly what the money is used for and, and use it for good for student athletes, it's going to be difficult. The other thing that uh, tampering has been awful, Yeah. the, the collision of, of uh, the NIL and transfer portal at the same time was a really bad mix Yeah. because now people are just paying kids on your campus to leave. And I think that's the, that's the most abusive of all the rules. Yeah. You've got a guy, you're recruiting him, he's on your team, and they're paying him a lot of money to leave. That's not fair. And then people say, well, why don't you turn them in? Well, it's all being done now with agents. Mm -hmm. And the agents aren't going to tell you. And, and the agents aren't going to tell you that they represent the school. They talk to some agent who represents some other school. So it, the, there's so many layers now, Bronco, it's really hard to figure it out. I've thought for many years that all of the academic schools should align. Mm -hmm. and have a, have a league. There's so much money involved with the leagues that all of us are in. It's been very difficult for anybody to stick their neck out and say, let's take all these academic schools. Uh, can they compete then with the non, the ones that don't worry as much about it, the more professional type, uh, maybe call them meat markets, really football powers. Some people would call them. It depends on how much you like it uh, with, with the name that you give to it. Um, so I don't know that that'll happen, but I do know now when we're, and it's a, it's probably a whole nother show, but if the SEC and 25 is going to make a hundred million and the big 10 is going to make a hundred million and the ACC is going to make 31, that makes everything more difficult and, and people can't figure out, well, what, why? why, why do you need that much money? Well, if you're using the hundred million for your facilities and to pay your coaches and to pay your staff then your, your boosters and your collective can have more money involved for the NIL. If you're having to use all your booster money for all of the day-to-day the -day operation, you've got, it's a dry well. Yeah. So the 31 million is going to have a lot of trouble competing with the 100 million uh, for so many different reasons. It's, it's even hard to comprehend. 
Yeah, just really well said. And, and th that stress point is exactly just kind of what I felt and, and feel and still see and the revenue generated from the television contracts, as well as the leagues, right, the conference commissioners, there's a battle waged for not only it's not just territory, it's finance, right, and revenue. And, and we see the Pac-12 wrestling and trying to get their TV deal, deal together. And, and they need it for all the reasons you just said. And it's, it's, it's almost where a division, if it occurs, will be based on revenue, not on purpose. And, and maybe those two things are aligned. You know, may, maybe revenue and purpose, maybe that defines, maybe that is the definition. Um, one of the things I, I wanted to go back to that I think is, and, and I know not everyone agrees with it, but if, if I'm uh, Chris Howard, right? And so this idea that you're guilty till proven innocent, I think it's just simply the magnitude, scope, and scale of his job. How do they have enough enforcement staff to trace down every lead? So I think that approach just flips it to where it can be dialed in so specifically, so fast, that they then possibly have the staff to be able to um, do something about it. That That's, to me, how I kind of see that. I don't know if he mentioned that, but that's kind of, it makes sense to me. And I, I agree with you. Maybe it's not American, but in order to put guardrails and accountability, it, it's unless you hire, I don't know how many enforcement agents you would need to pull this off, but without that approach, I don't know how that's done. No. And I think you're exactly right. Now they can come in and ask for everybody's phone records. Yes. They, they can, they can have you be an open book and you've got to give them everything. And if that high school coach has been calling you of the kid that transferred, they're going to say you're guilty. Yes. Whether you talk to him about your mom or, or your sister, they're going to think that you talk to him about the player that transferred. Yeah. Uh, and that's what Chris said. He said, you're, you're again guilty until you can prove your innocence. So you are going to have to be really aggressive if they come and see you unlike before uh, and, and make sure that you, you can prove your innocence. So we, when we've, we've talked, um, I just, I really appreciate your perspective and I always appreciated it on the board. Sometimes those meetings are long and sometimes they don't feel so productive and that's could be coaches meetings or board meetings, but it just seems like the relevance of your comments and the understanding always kind of brought sense to it, which I hope our listeners are appreciating. Cause I think it's been really helpful as, as you think now for yourself and, and coaching UNC, what still brings you enjoyment, right? What, what are the things that, man, I, I, I don't know. I look forward to tomorrow because, you know, and I, I, I like this because what, what, what things are there that really still are uh, maybe captivated your heart? Bronco, it's a great question. The, the things that you're missing right now. Yeah. A hundred percent. The kids. I can name those right the, away. Yeah. No, it's, uh, I, I'm, Sally says, I love chaos. I don't, but I like fixing things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you, you, you have a staff, you have, a, I've got a building of, let's say, 72 people here. I love every one of them. Yeah. And, and I want to help them every day. And, and uh, I, I look forward to seeing them. And I, I went on spring break and missed the place so much. I came back early and Sally thinks I'm <laughs> sick and crazy. <laughs> All coaches are sick. We're emotionally disturbed that we wouldn't be doing this stuff. But Bronco, a, a quick story of, of something that you and I love and believe and and about our teams and our kids, a, a tragedy in the mountains of North Carolina with a friend of ours. He had a 19-year-old that was going to Appalachian that actually worked at our house, and he was a wonderful kid and really smart, shot himself in the face, mm -hmm. killed himself because his girlfriend left him. Mm -hmm. And Sally and I were so devastated that we said, if it can happen with him and this family, it can happen to anybody. 
So we ran back. We, we left immediately, came back home, called a team meeting. We sat there and said, come on, guys. Suicide is very selfish. It's selfish to your parents. It's selfish to us, your friends. So if you're at a bad place, talk to us, man. Come on and talk to us. Just just let's find out what's wrong. Let's quit football. I don't care. Uh, but but let's let's get you in a good place. And a young guy named Jake Lawler walked up to my office right afterwards and said, Coach Sally was sitting there with me and said, Coach, I was on a, a bridge getting ready to jump two nights ago. And that makes sense. And you you got my attention. I need help. I need counseling. Well, that young guy graduated the next year and he's a screenwriter for Disney now. And uh, I, I, I make sure he texts me about every two weeks. And then if I see something on Twitter, it looks really stupid. I say, are you OK? Uh, and he says he just laughs and says, yeah, I'm OK. But but coaches can make a difference. And, and you have to be really careful what you say to these kids, because coaches have a powerful presence in their life. And, and I've asked our, our coaches to treat our players like they would want their kids to be treated. And, and I'm not going to hire a coach that I wouldn't let coach my kids or my grandkids because I want them to change their lives to a positive. And, and uh, the, the thing that's motivating me so much right now, Bronco, is with all these uh, things that are, are, are different, maybe not bad, not good, but different, um, we need leadership more than ever before. Number one, to get them back on track. And number two, to help these kids and coaches navigate through the new waters that we've got that, that nobody's ever done. And like COVID, that was changed for all of us. It was really wow. weird. It was new. And I know you didn't even feel like you should play because it wasn't safe for kids. And, and, but the ones that handle COVID the best were the ones that survived those years. The ones that are going to handle NIL and, and transfer portal at a school like ours that's a, a real high, highly rated academic school are going to be the ones that make it because it's different. And it's not what we would have thought two years ago would help us get where we want to go. Uh, so I feel that I, I feel like I'm needed more right now than maybe ever before uh, by, by our school and by the game. And, and I can be more outspoken than most because at my age, uh, I'm, I'm, they're not going to fire me and I don't care if they do. And <laughs> it just, you know, I, can say, I can really say what I want. And so many coaches Bronco, as you know, are afraid to, Yeah, they're afraid their administration will be mad at them or, or some players going to get mad. And, and I am absolutely not saying that I, I want players not to get money. I think it's great when some guys get some money that they, they need you. And I got $15 a month. And, and we thought it was great. Every you, got, you got a better deal than I got. My, my yeah. dad didn't. I, I didn't get that. <laughs> <laughs> he, he wouldn't give you that. But, no. but yeah. But but again, uh, we want what's best for the players. Sometimes what's perceived to be best, uh, too much can be too much too soon. I I, I think that's and because uh, we all are in some level of development stage, right? I'm learning every day. These kids. I, I think the rate in which they're learning and what they're handling, right, it's, it's changing around them as well. I think they're trying to keep up with it. You mentioned a couple things. Uh, and so, I, I, man, I think everyone wants to be needed and wanted. And so back to your tragic story, somewhere along the way, a coach, right, and, so, and there, there are broken homes everywhere, and, and there are hard things everywhere. And sometimes a coach can be the one that expresses the love, the need, and want that they're needed here. We're want, you're wanted here. 
you're safe here. We this is your place. And I love football being able to do that, uh, that there's a purpose beyond the revenue. And, and, and so my concern for the leaders, as you just said, man, leaders needed now more than ever. You're needed more now than ever. Um, it's something I'm wrestling with uh, because here, here's the, the, the landscape changing and it's moving toward, and it's not all bad, um, this additional financial motive at, at a younger level that needs to be balanced with, right? The development of an integrity building of amazing people within that sphere, which is what you're trying to do as well. And so when, when I hear that, um, I don't know, what, what effect do you think, because I heard you mention Twitter just a second ago, how, how in the world are you helping these kids manage that? And, and what others think of them and what they say to them on that and how engaged they are social media wise and what effect because you mentioned you mentioned mental health and there's a connection very well researched and proven of mental health tied to, to uh the media platforms and it's not a positive in general so i'm i'm just wondering how you're navigating that not only for yourself because i mean people can say crazy things to head coaches on that and your staff but your players how how are you managing the the social media ish world yeah, uh, Bronco, Sally, uh, and we, we're lucky to have great brides, but Sally the other day said that uh, she read somewhere where uh, if you look at social media every day, it, it's tough. We, we find out about the three-year-old that drowned in New Jersey and the seven-year-old that burned in a house in Portland, and we didn't know those things when we were growing up. They were out there. They were real, but now we see who shot and these kids getting shot at parties and school, and we see it all, and we see it every day. And the suggestion from this person she was reading was take some time away from social media. Mm -hmm. you, you, you can't handle it every minute of every day because it'll beat you down, and, and that's just from everybody else. And, and I thought that, that makes sense because I'm on it way too much, and, and now we've got an addiction. We, we at first had addictions to computers and and, and now we've got an addiction to our phone. I, I get myself at home. I'm sitting there watching it to see if a recruit's going to text or something. Mm -hmm. And then, and it's just ridiculous. There's no time off. Yeah. And then you go to bed and you, it's on your mind with what you've yeah. got too. And then uh, I had a, a great friend. Uh, you, you played in Texas where it was the Joe Jamel Phil. And mm -hmm. Mr. Jamel was a prominent lawyer in Houston and a dear friend of mine. He's the smartest man I've ever met. And he said, I said, how do you, you get uh, death threats? You're a lawyer. You're you're a tough lawyer. You're a, a tart lawyer. How, how do you handle criticism and death threats? And he said, Coach, it's it's easy for me. He said, Number one, I I don't pay any attention to anything from anybody that I don't know or respect. Yeah. He said, I take five or six people that are really successful in in areas that I respect, and I'll talk to them. They're kind of like my board. And he said, I don't talk to anybody else and I don't listen to anybody else. So I've, I've tried to approach that with our players, that if you're going to enjoy the positive things that are said on the Internet, there are going to be negative things on the Internet. Sally also comes up and says people don't usually get on the Internet to share wonderful things, <laughs> especially after a football game. They're on there to share opinions. And it used to be us talking to our brother or being at the barbershop and 
And now it's this anonymous person with a name that says Bronco Mendenhall's an idiot, man. That guy's got no clue what he's doing. Well, what are you talking about? I don't know. It's the whole game. He just messed up the whole game. And and Sally's always said that person doesn't like their wife. They didn't like the last movie they saw. They didn't like the last meal they ate. They're in a basement somewhere half drunk, angry at you. Uh, so don't worry about it. And I really don't. That, that's one place I have really grown, even since Texas, um, where there's a lot of attention. Yes. Uh, but but I, I don't worry about it anymore. I, I don't yeah. care. I worry about my family, and I worry about our coaches and kids yeah. and, and, and that little circle. And outside of that, I've got my five to six guys that, that I bounce things off of. Uh, other than that, I'm 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 in good shape. You know what I what I love just hearing uh, from from your perspective is here here's a, a media platform, and I'm not going to say it's all bad. Um, uh, I helped uh, co-teach a class at Virginia, um, and man, those kids are smart. But there's a book if you, if you haven't read it, man, I recommend it to any of our listeners. Listeners, it's called Irresistible, and it's talking about the power of the cell phone as the most addictive device ever known to man. Um, and I, I, I won't get the statistic actually exactly right, but I encourage our listeners to, to follow through. It says something like um, the average young person now, by the time they pass away, will have spent over 30 years of time on of screen time. So the name wow. of the book is Irresistible. So I encourage everyone to look up that statistic themselves. So it was roughly that. But um, the effect that it can have, um, it can then take the place of. Um, what you just said, and that's five or six really good friends who you yeah. can rely on and you can trust and you can listen to. And and it's fu it's funny because so many young people now are more lonely than they've ever been. And they don't have what you just mentioned is the five or six, which I love the idea that teammates could be that for them. Maybe a coach could be that for them. Um, again, the balance of leadership um, and integrity and character and care for people in relation to what can just be anonymously said is pretty hurtful. So um, to, to hear that you're, you've kind of are coming out the other side of a place like Texas where you're so visible and those comments do get to you. And, and to me, I, I wish I could say uh, there's the, there's the old adage, right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. I, I'm not past that. Names hurt to me being called a name. And I, uh, I, I'm either hurt or I want to fight. Right there, there's to say it doesn't have an effect. I'm not there yet, which is one of the challenges of being a head coach. But now put yourself as a young person with even less experience, less maturity, and and who helps navigate them through that. And and I think you just gave great advice. Uh, five or six. Well, we've said spouse first. So start with one. What what one true trusted friend can you have or teammate? But if you can get to five or six through a lifetime that you really trust and admire and respect. That's quite an accomplishment, I think. Yeah, and and I I always cringe when I see my uh, weekly, daily screen time on Sunday <laughs> that pops up. I need to take that off because I'm so embarrassed when it said you had 14 hours above what you normally have. And I said I got too much when I normally have, and I'm thinking, what did I do all week, man? That, that's just it. We had a speaker come in. I think it was uh, C. L. Shepard. Mm the other day and he talked to our team and it was really interesting. He, and I'll, I'll be real brief with the story, but he said, uh, uh, a guy went hiking and, um, he, he was out in the desert. His phone didn't work. 
and he, he slipped and fell and some rocks, boulders fell on his left arm and he couldn't get loose. And I know this story. Yeah. So he, he didn't have any water. He laid there three days, no food, no phone. So he had to cut something loose. So he cut his arm off yeah. and he cut his arm off so he could be freed. And he, and he left. And, and the, the moral of the story to our team that I thought was so good, all of us have something that we need to cut off to help us and cut off to save our lives. So you've got some baggage, you've, you've got some stuff. What do you need to cut out to get better? And, and man, it hit me. It hit me right in the face. And I thought, of course we all have some things. So I said, are you drinking too much? Mm-hmm. You're smoking a little marijuana on the side and it's okay. It just makes me relax against the law, against the NCAA rules. Uh, I'm eating too much. Uh, what, what do I need to cut out? To, to make me a better player and make me a better person. And we've all got that. And and what we have to do is be honest with ourselves and say, eh, you're right, I need to get rid of these three things. And if I do, my life will be better because I'll be more productive. And um, and we've really challenged the team every day to do that. Yeah, I, I love that idea. And, and so many of us, we, we don't self-assess correctly unless you're given a great opportunity that's framed and even then you're not quite right. But if you have a trusted and respected other, uh, I always love the term feedback as a gift. And, and so if these young people can end up learning to, from those they trust, right, to ask for feedback. And sometimes uh, I had a standard practice when kids would come in and they'd say, coach, I'd love some feedback, like you said. And then I would say, how honest do you want me to be? Yeah. And, and so that allowed them to frame uh, how it was delivered, right? And I promised I'm going to say this from love, with love, and from that place. But if okay, so you want me to be completely honest to your questions, man? I recommend you cut out this. I see it affecting you. I recommend you cut out that. I see it affecting you. Like if you're sincere about wanting to be better, I'm giving you that. But man, I, I would recommend. And man, young people, if if they can be in a place that's so safe and so loving, and with others they respect, to ask for feedback. Because feedback, when it's asked for, is way more, uh, it's applied at a much higher level than when it's just given, especially if it's given in an angry tone. And, you know, sometimes as coaches, we do that, right? And the kids on the field might mistake that for a coach doesn't like me. Um, and man, then almost scripturally, then you have to go back and increase your love to make sure they know you do. And that was just a moment. It wasn't them. And and even again, if you kind of go scripturally, that. There's this idea of, of like, like you just said, um, there, there's a, a man that cuts off his arm to survive. There's 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 uh, references that, man, cut this off. It's better that you go on without it than, <laughs> than carry that down to a place you don't want to be. And so I think it's just that your kids are your players are really lucky to, number one, have the speaker, but then for you to apply it in a way that hopefully opens doors for those kids to come to your staff and just say, okay, I, I'm thinking about this. What, what do you think? Um, what, uh, and that, that would be really helpful. Well, and Bronco, people don't understand. We're in a pressure business. <laughs> so we have, we have to win games. Totally. And we have to be very direct. And there is a certain amount of pressure that's exuded to these kids for them to get better and go from where they are to where they want to go. Yeah. And now we have to add the element of mental health Yes. How hard can you push a guy and not push him too far? 
So we've got exit interviews after spring practice with the transfer portal open with every player this week. There's going to be some really hard conversations. Yes. And I told them that. And I said, they're out of love. They're out of the, your parents sometimes can't tell you all the things you aren't doing well yeah. because they love you too much. And that's a good thing. I, I, I got that. I said, when my grandkids get cut off a team, I'm mad at the coach. I mean, I got it. So I, I understand that. But what we did is we brought in our mental health counselor, Dwight Hoyer, who played here for me. And, and he talked to him about uh, self-evaluation, uh, taking constructive criticism, the amount of pressure that you, you have to have applied from your coach. Um, if you're not doing something well, he has to address it. And then we talk all the time about <clears throat> it's not what we say, it's what you hear. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you don't hear what we say because of the tone, because you thought we were mad. And, and even with this today, there will be some fans that, that listen, some listeners that will not understand what we meant. Yeah. And they'll say, I can't believe he said that. Well, that's not at all what I said. That's yeah. what you heard. Uh, so we all have to be so careful in what we say. And, and I've gotten to a point now that I will say after I talk to you, Bronco, what'd you hear? Yeah. So I ask every player, and it's amazing sometimes how different what he heard is what I tried to say. Yeah. I, I mean, it's that. really amazing. But they may be uptight. And if you say five good things and one thing that's a concern, they only remember the one. Then they go tell mom he yelled at me. Yeah. And mom calls and says, you yelled at my kid over these five? These, I said, no. I bragged on your kid for 45 minutes. I said, I'd like to see you do this better and you'd play more. Yeah. And so the the idea of, of what did they hear, um, that is, uh, it's so helpful in those meetings like that you're talking about those exit interviews. And I learned this over time. I, I really tried to eliminate one-on-ones, uh, a meeting from one coach and one player. And so a position coach and a coordinator or a position coach, coordinator and the head coach. Now that takes way more time and there isn't much time, as you just said, and there's so much pressure. Um, But wow, does adding a third party seem to just mitigate and and diffuse and and maybe promote the chance to have someone hear more effectively what was actually said? Yeah. And And then and then when the, the student says, he yelled at me. Your third party can say he really didn't. Yeah, exactly. He didn't at all. I, exactly. I could tell you were getting uptight, but he, here's what I heard him say. And that's not at all what you heard. Exactly. And we know, right. And so ultimately, these kids are coming to UNC because they trust you, right? Or they trust your staff. And and without that, we know in relationships that just it's not going to work, right? To be in a relationship where there is no trust, it's not going to work. And so um, I... Uh, I think the best cultures in college football or any organization have trust established. And that usually takes time and it usually takes consistency, right? And it takes results. Um, and, and when you do that under pressure, like you're just saying, man, that that's hard to expedite how fast you can get trust. Um, but we also know that, right. If it's just comfortable, atrophy happens, like there's no growth. And so this friction of pressure can be a positive if guided by love and perspective from those around you. And, and so we're, we're finishing up here at the approach at end of our hour. And I just, um, I think the players are lucky um, that have, that are at UNC or just that have been under your care and Sally, I'll, I'll put that as well. Cause it's, it's a team effort. And then I think you and I both know you work as hard as you can to have assistance 
and everyone in your building that's aligned with that approach. And if it's not, wow, does that cause a problem? And so I would love maybe just as you close, we have five minutes, just um, uh, how you've gone about putting your staff together um, and, and what qualities, maybe that's the right question, what qualities have been really important to you because you can't do it all as the head coach. It's it's not possible, so you need help. And so what, what are you looking for for those around you? Yeah, Bronco, once I asked the lost Dodds, the athletics director at Texas, I said, how hard's your job? And he said, it's really hard unless you're doing yours. Yeah. And, and so we do answer. need everybody to do their job. Yeah. What I learned in my five years in TV is number one, I'll never hire anybody else that I don't like. Yeah. Because if I don't like them, they're gonna feel it, they're not gonna like me and there's gonna be drama and I don't do drama anymore. We, we want to have uh, really good, hard discussions, and, and it's okay to disagree, uh, but we, we don't fight. We, we discuss, and that's important. Secondly, I'm never going to hire a coach on the field that doesn't have children. When I was a young coach, I, I had a, a young, young head coach. I had a guy that was a, a single guy, and he came to me and said, God, this mother's crazy. She loves that kid way too much. And I thought, no. <laughs> You can't love your kid way too much. That's what parents do. So I, so I will not hire a coach on the field that doesn't have a child and, and because they don't understand. The other thing, I'm not going to hire a coach I don't like. Yeah. And I'm not going to hire a coach that I wouldn't let coach my kids because we're not going to grab and we're not going to cuss. And some can't be productive without doing that. That's okay. I got it. They're not going to work here because we're not going to demean kids and we're not going to put them down. We're going to pick them up. And that's really, really important. And everybody in this building, and it, it sounds weird, everybody in this building works for our players. And they work for their players to have a better life and a better experience. It doesn't mean we're soft on them. The old players coach thing, I think that, that gets overused because what is a players coach? One that helps them? One that helps them get better? Not one that hangs out and shoots pool with them. I mean, that, that's, that's not it, but we're trying to help them. And then the other thing we, we do is we want coaches who are aligned with us in recruiting. We want to recruit kids from really good families that want to be here that know rules. I don't want to have to tell a, a, a young person here, be appropriate with women. He needs to have learned that at home. Don't carry a gun on campus. I, if I'm, uh, don't smoke dope. Don't get drunk every night. <coughs> then, then I've probably recruited the wrong young guy. So Bronco, we're at a point now we don't even have rules. We tell them to, to do what your parents have asked you to do for years. Mm-hmm. And if you do that, then we're going to be in, in, in a good space. Yeah. And we, we ask our coaches and us to learn to communicate. And then just what you said, after we learn to communicate, we, we build up trust and respect, which is easy to say and really hard to do. There have to be uh, situations where you've done what you told them you're going to do to build both of those up. You've got to win enough that they respect you to think you know what you're talking about. And then we have our common purpose and our common purpose. And I'll close with this. We want to have more fun than anybody else in college football because not many people are having fun anymore. It's gotten too much like the NFL. We want to graduate every player. We, we want um, to win every game. And we want the young guys on our team to be better prepared for life after football when they leave here. Now they're, Dream can be their family, uh, to be the head of a corporation, to be in the NFL, but let's get our goals before we can start talking about our dreams. Two years ago, when we were so bad, 
and I didn't even like our team, I, I would ask them, what, what is your why? And they'd say, oh, I want to buy mom a house when I play in the NFL. I said, you're not starting here. Let's quit talking about the NFL. So we've told them now, have fun, get your degree, win all the games, better prepare yourself for life when you get out of here. Then let, let's start talking about your dreams. And your dreams don't happen without your goals. There has to be a journey and you have to pay for it and you have to earn it. And nobody's ever gotten it too easy. And if they have, they probably don't appreciate it. Yeah, R- really well said. And uh, just the, the perspective and the journey, it's a life journey. And in this world today where uh, coaches, we don't have a lot of time to, to win enough games to stay and, and players, they want to play sooner and more. Um, and but most people want to grow and mature. And I, I think the kids are lucky that are in your program. I appreciate your friendship. So, so glad that you're you uh, we were able to spend 60 minutes together and just uh, wish you all the best, Mac. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, my friend. And thanks for catching up. And Noah Taylor, who was one of yours transferred here is a, a grad transfer. And he bragged on you every time I ever saw him or talked to him and and uh, was very disappointed that, that you left Virginia because he, he had a wonderful relationship with you. And he said, Coach did it right. He cared about us. Uh, he cared about everybody on the team. We had fun. We had goals. We had direction. So uh, you, you've touched a whole lot of hearts, my friend. So uh, we need you back in coaching as soon as we can get you back on that field. Thanks, Max, so much. I really appreciate it. Brian, you want to finish us off? Yeah, no, I'll, I'll just follow that up a, a little bit, Mac. When, when he gets back into coaching, you, you faced Bronco three times when you were at Texas. You th- faced him three times in, in the South's oldest rivalry there at UNC. So I, I, all I'm telling you is, is you got to tell tell Bubba Cunningham, your AD, uh, whatever stop that Bronco lands, we, we need a three-game series between the two of you. We, yeah, we'll close gonna, this out nicely. What uh, I'm, I'm going to tell Bubba is I don't want to ever play Bronco again. <laughs> That's going to be written in my contract as well. Like wh- wh- wherever I end up, it's like, what? okay, Max still at NC. No, we're, they're not. I'll, I'll take the job if that's not part of the deal. <laughs> you know, you, 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 you have to win and you work so hard to win. And it makes it more difficult when you really like, not just respect, but you like the person on the other side because part of you, as weird as it sounds, is, is lost because he lost. And and you you don't want your friends to lose. So that that's just part of this crazy business that people don't understand. Yeah, that, that it is. Well, we appreciate the time, the, the kind words, and uh, the, the, the great insight that you had there, Mac. And uh, for, for Bronco Mendenhall, for, for Mac Brown, I am Brian Fisher. Thank you so much for joining us here on this episode of Head Coach You.